So for those of you who don't know, Mark Goodfield is a hard drinking, hard partying, <laughs> hard smoking. I'm kidding. He's an accountant. Money Mostly Canadian Podcast with your host, Freep Banerjee. Welcome back to Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian. I am your host, Preet Banerjee, and on the show today, I'll be talking to Mark Goodfield. He's an accountant and partner at BDO Canada. Now, before I get to the interview, I have to give you a little background on the recording of this particular podcast. I actually forgot to record 40 minutes of this interview, and when I realized it, uh, well, I felt like an absolute heel. And uh, so what you'll hear is we started over from the beginning, and I mentioned that I would take the time, my own time, to go over the thank yous for the people who left ratings and comments on iTunes. So now this is me doing that, and then I'm going to throw back to the interview that we actually did record, and again, with my apologies to Mark. So yes, thank you very much to all the people who leave ratings on iTunes and leave comments. Earl Kuma listens regularly to increase their financial literacy. Thank you for listening. Abdul Kanbaz, I think is how that's pronounced, recommends the podcast to anyone interested in personal finance. Thank you for your comments. And finally, Norma3356 likes the recent spate of episodes dealing with automated investment advisors. So thank you all for leaving your comments and, of course, for listening to the show. And if you haven't done so yet, I really do appreciate you taking five seconds to leave a rating on iTunes. And if you want to take the additional time to write in a comment on top of that, I do read them all. And I know that there are many more comments to be read, and I will get to those in future episodes. And now I'm going to throw back to the originally recorded second take of the interview with my friend Mark Goodfield. And it's a really good one. And again, my apologies, Mark. Welcome back to Mostly Money, Mostly Canadian. I'm your host, Preet Banerjee. I'm not a very happy guy right now. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because I had just had a fantastic conversation with my guest today, Mark Goodfield, who is an accountant and partner at BDO Canada, for about 40 minutes of some incredibly insightful, humorous, and engaging talk about taxes. And I forgot to record it all. So I'm <laughs> here, and Mark is ready to shoot me because uh, I've wasted 40 minutes of his time. Um, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna roll right into it. I had a bunch of people to thank. I'm gonna do that at home on my own time, as opposed to right now. And we're gonna try and replicate the magic that we created in this office. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, Mark Goodfield is a hard drinking, hard partying, <laughs> hard smoking. I'm kidding. He's an accountant, um, but he is one of the coolest accountants around, and he runs uh, a really great uh, blog called the Blunt Bean Counter. He's got over 25 years experience providing accounting income tax and wealth management advice. He's got a variety of experience working with rental real estate, investment companies, professional and consulting practices, amongst many other industries. And he's also the author of the blog, The Blunt Bean Counter, as I mentioned, uh, which is a blog about income tax, business, the psychology of money and investing topics. And the blog won a Plutus Award in 2014 for being one of the best blogs in Canada and the United States. 
Mark is also the author of Let's Get Blunt About Your Financial Affairs. Mark, welcome back to the show one more time. Well, thanks again. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry about that. I feel like an absolute heel. Yeah, a priest is not telling the truth. He just doesn't want to keep interviewing an accountant for an initial 40 minutes. <laughs> no, trust me. I'm so, I feel so bad. I, and I'm so happy that you're humoring me with more of your, your precious time. Um, so again, let, let's get right into it. Um, so as I mentioned before, you've, uh, you've been a guest on this show before. Your blog is The Blunt Bean Counter. And sometimes what you do is you run a, a best of series on your blog. Uh, when you're either golfing or you're in the middle of a busy tax uh, preparation season. And one of the recent topics that you reposted was on uh, family dynamics and estate planning. And one of the concepts that you brought up is the difference between what you call vertical consequences versus horizontal consequences with respect to estate planning. Can you walk us through what you mean by that? Sure. So from vertical hierarchy consequences, what I mean is estate decisions that will impact the, ch- uh, the children and may affect the way the children view their parents, whereas for horizontal, it's decisions that will affect the interrelationship amongst the children. Right. So like the recipients, right? And, and how, you know, the brother and sister react to one getting X and the other getting Y. Right. Um, so let's start by using an example of the family business, because I know you deal with a lot of um, large family businesses as clients. So how do horizontal issues crop up here? So there's various uh, issues that could come. They can be what's the value of the business? Who gets the voting shares? Who's the CEO? Um you know, the, the biggest issue tends to be in families is if there's a couple kids in the business, who is going to be the boss or the CEO and who is going to be the management but not in charge. And that brings up all these old sibling rivalries. <laughs> right. Because uh, as you mentioned during the first run when we were doing this interview, <laughs> sometimes you have a sibling who is, you know, the older sibling and who is in charge at the home front and may sort of take on that mantle. Um, you know, in the family business, even though technically they have a 50% voting share and 50% of the shares outright. And so do you see this happen a lot? Is this something that that uh, crops up with family businesses after they've passed on or even before they've passed on the family business to the next generation? Uh, yes. And, you know, I had, a, I had an experience where somebody told me a story about some people I knew where the actual family business was passed on to an older brother mm-hmm. who was one of those, you know, bossy older brothers of the younger brother and always, you know, acted like he knew everything. And the younger brother was always going to learn from him and listen to him. Right. And when the business was passed on, he became the CEO and the younger brother had another position of not of much strength. And the older brother continued to basically boss around the younger brother and not respect his opinion, even though he was now an an adult and probably had a lot to add. Mm -hmm. And they just butted horns. And at the end of the day, the younger brother had to leave the business and had uh, some medical issues because of this. Wow. Um, Another thing that we we talked about was, you know, let's say you have uh, a couple of siblings and one is active in the business and one isn't. And so the family may decide, you know, the parents will say, okay, well, we want to equalize things. And at the time when they decide to set up their estate plan, they say, all right, well, currently the business is worth five million bucks. And so we'll leave, you know, an equal amount, five million bucks in uh, life insurance policy or whatever to the other siblings. And, you know, it'll be equal and everything's fine. And that may have been fine, but fast forward 30 years and that business has, you know, grown and is now worth a hundred million, but that life insurance policy is worth still 5 million. So does that 
happen? Or is that one of those textbook examples? Well, this could happen, so you should plan around it. Yes, it, uh, it does happen <laughs> lots of times. Um, so, so typically there could be an insurance policy, but most, most people that have a family business have some other assets. So in general, the one child or two child, children may be left the family business and the other children are left actual liquid assets. Um, but it could be an insurance policy. But the, the real issue that happens here is that let's, let's just say that you and I are brothers and, uh, you know, you've worked the business and I haven't. And, uh, you know, dad either passes away or dad hands the business over to you. And the business is worth $5 million and you've got the business and dad says, okay, I'm going to be nice and equal to Mark. And, you know, I'm leaving Mark my RSP and my house and my cottage so that he's got $5 million of value and everything's equal. Well, what happens if, you know, pre you know, uses his business acumen and makes the business grow to $100 million in five years and he's bought out and Mark is now, you know, getting his $5 million, which we're not going to feel sorry for him, but Preet has $100 million. Mark may not be that happy. He may be saying, dad knew that this thing was going to be worth way more. Right. Handed it to Preet and he's got so much more money than I do and this is unfair. And it's creating this sort of vertical issue that you would ne- the parent probably would never conceive of because they thought they were being fair. On the flip side, you know, Preet can, you know, take his, uh, be driving at most sports, smash into the guardrail and be out for six months and the business goes to crap. And, uh, you know, he's now got nothing and I got five million and he's saying, well, that's not fair. You know, I, my car hit a, a guardrail. So, you know, who knows? Well, thank you. That's very prophetic. I'm actually racing this weekend at most sports. So that won't be in the back of my, my mind now. So thank you very much for that. Um, all right. So let's, um, let's talk about the family cottage. Cause yes, there are a lot of people with family business, but there's probably more people with family cottages. And I know a lot of listeners on this podcast probably have a family cottage. And I don't remember the source, but I heard this um, anecdote thrown out uh, or, or statistic thrown out a while ago that basically said the number one reason that a cottage goes for sale in Muskoka is not because necessarily someone wants to sell the cottage. It's that the recipients, the receiving generation can't pay the tax bill. Um, so can you walk us through what that is? Okay, so from a from a, a tax perspective, um, upon the death of the last spouse, assuming the the last of die spouse had been, you know, the cottage had passed to the other spouse, they're deemed to sell the cottage. So let's say you bought a cottage in Muskoka for you know two hundred thousand thirty years ago, and it's now worth two million dollars. You're deemed on your final what they call terminal tax return to sell that cottage for proceeds of two million dollars with a two hundred thousand dollar cost and have a million eight hundred thousand dollar capital gain, even though you really haven't sold that cottage because you're the last you were the last spouse and once the last spouse dies, it's deemed sold. So there is a huge income tax liability that occurs at that time on many cottages, maybe not to that extent, but still three, four hundred thousand is pretty pretty common. So Parents have to deal with how are they going to fund that tax liability. Um, and often it's, it's done if, if, if thought is given to it by insurance, um, early on where the parent, the parents take last to die insurance and that insurance would cover the tax liability on the cottage. Um, unfortunately, when you, when you get down to it, whether you gift the cottage, whether you transfer it to a corporation, whether you transfer it to a trust, you are not getting rid of that tax liability. So it's something that won't go away and it is a significant issue. 
And okay, so let's say that you know you've you've done your planning and you figured out a way to cover that that tax liability down the road, and it passes now to the next generation. You still have horizontal issues that you, as you mentioned before. For example, you could have one person who lives somewhere near the cottage, and you have someone else who lives in a different country altogether, but they've received an equal fifty percent share. Someone who's living in the other country might say, okay, so am I expected to now pay for the upkeep, even though I'm not going to be using the cottage maybe once a year at most? Um, what, what, what do you see happen? What, what are the horizontal issues that the parents have to think about when they're, when they're uh, planning the transference of a cottage? So I think this is a larger overall issue that I've written about and I know you've talked about is that parents – you know, the taboo of money, parents don't talk about their estate with their children enough, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Now, do you have to give every detail of your estate? No. But here's a perfect example where you don't necessarily even have to deal with numbers. So you have a cottage and, you know, let's say, again, me and, me and you are brothers and we have a, uh, have a sister. And, you know, I really love the cottage. Our sister is sort of in between. And you love the cottage, but... Our parents don't realize that you love the cottage because you just love to go up there and mom makes you breakfast and she makes you lunch and, you know, you can drink as much as you want. Mm-hmm. You can surf and water ski and whatever you like to do up there. But boy, you really are a lazy guy and you have no desire to have a cottage and be the host and, you know, do the upkeep and, and do everything. But mom and dad just sort of say, well, Preet loves it up there, so he must want the cottage. So <laughs> Why wouldn't I if they provide all that for me? <laughs> exactly. And, you know, surprisingly, that happens a lot where the parents don't really even talk to the kids about who really wants it. Mm-hmm. And so they make these assumptions. So the first thing I think you have to do is, you know, sit down with your children and talk about, you know, who really wants the cottage. Once that's sort of become clear, um, then you sort of deal with, okay, well, you know, can the two, if it's, let's say, we, we, we knock you out of this because you've, you, you're you honest and say, hey, I, I'll love to come up to the cottage if one, you know, Mark or my sister are, are there and I'll be a freeloader again, but I don't want anything <laughs> to do with it. So, um, you know, now Mark and this, my and our, my sister have to decide, you know, can we work together and share a cottage or are we going to conflict because, you know, I want this weekend, she wants that weekend or it just we don't want to be up at the same time and my wife hates his wife, uh, her wife and, you know, you know all, all, the, all the family crap, right? So, you know, you have to sort of figure that out and then you get into, you know, the financial circumstances of, you know, let's say my sister has done really well and I'm sort of mm. struggling. Can I afford to pay for my share of the cottage, the realty taxes are massive. The ongoing maintenance is massive. Uh, you know, the freeloaders like Preet are massive. And, <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of costs with the, with the cottage. And so how do you, how do you deal with that if one sibling can't really afford it? And speaking of, you know, uh, inequality between siblings uh, when it comes to their income, it's possible that, you know, some siblings receive more financial assistance when the parents are alive versus other siblings. So do families have like a pre-death and post-death ledger that they try and square with uh, when it comes to estate planning? Yeah, I'd say in general, most do. Um, if 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 you go amongst you know, each family is different. So I, I've had families where there's three children. One has done really well. One's on average and one is sort of struggling. And the one that's done really well will say, you know what, I'm, I'm fine if you leave more to my other, my sibling who struggled or, you know, at least, you know, during your, your lifetime, if you want to give them a couple hundred thousand dollars to help them buy a house, um, I'm okay with that. And you don't have to worry about that for me. And there's others that say, hey, you know what, I've worked like crazy to get where I have. Uh, I'm successful. 
too bad for my sister who wanted to be an artist and never sold a painting. It's going to be split equally. So, you know, the, the kids have different opinions. The parents have different opinions. Um, but one thing that can happen, and um, there's a, a legal concept called a hodgepodge, which uh, as a, I'm not a lawyer, so, you know, I'll disclaim <laughs> everything here. But the, the theory of a, a hodgepodge is that um, in the will, it says that, you know, I've given pre $200,000 already and I've given Mark 100000 If my estate is worth a million dollars, we now make the estate worth a million three, divide that in three, and we're going to subtract Preet's 200 from that and Mark's 100 So everybody ends up equal at the end of the day. Right. Okay. Okay. So uh, before I change topics, I want to ask you one last question um, when it comes to estate planning. And that is, what is the worst story that you've either heard um, or the worst um, experience you've had when it comes to, uh, you know, the administration of an estate? Yeah. So I'd say the worst thing I have personally experienced was, was that another firm about uh, 15 years ago, uh, one of my clients was terminally ill and I knew he was going to pass away shortly. And I was sort of waiting for the one of the children to call me to give me the funeral details. And I get the call and I'm ready to start writing down where the funeral is and what time and when I'm going. And that's not the reason for the call. The reason for the call is uh, when can I get my money? Ugh. And it was just, I, I was so taken aback at that time. And it, it was shocking that, you know, it just, the, the the body, as they say, wasn't barely cold, and right. the the sons were already looking for when they were going to get their money. Is that? Do you find that? I mean, that's an extreme example. I hope. Do you find that there are a lot of people who are planning on the inheritance as part of their personal finances? Yeah, I've seen that. So I, I wrote a blog on is it morbid to plan for an inheritance? And just by coincidence, actually, uh, Preet had actually written something I think for the Global <laughs> Mail on the same topic. And I'm sure yours was way better. No, no, actually. So uh, <laughs> I, I came to the conclusion, I guess as a more practical accountant, that, you know, if you know, if you're pretty certain your parents are fairly wealthy and you're uh, an only child or only two children and they're going to have way more money than they need and you have a great family dynamic, that I, I think it's a bit nonsensical to pretend it's never going to happen. Sure. I said you, in my blog that you should discount that value because you still never know what happens. Right. You talked about it. Well, you really probably shouldn't even do that, but just consider it to be a windfall. Um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's hard to say who's right. Um, but the problem is that I, I've seen a lot of people – I shouldn't say a lot. There's there's been several people that actually plan on that inheritance and they live now. So they, they put their kids in private school, they buy their Mercedes, they buy a bigger house, they go on great vacations and they're in huge debt, but they're planning on the big inheritance that's right. going to cover that. And, you know, I actually haven't seen that happen where they've planned for it and not got it. Right. Um, but, you know, I'm sure it does happen. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, then, and, you know, we briefly talked about this before in the first interview before you didn't record me. <laughs> sorry, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, is that there? there's a group of, uh, of people that I'll, I'll call uh, hoverers that, you know, again, this is really small percentage of kids, but there, there's children that basically are just, you know, waiting for their parents or grandparents to die to get all this money to live the lifestyle they want. So it's... Uh, some of this does make your skin crawl. Yeah, no kidding, man. And I, you, you, we had talked about this before uh, as well. I think most people would gladly trade the money for more time with their with their loved ones while they're you know um, 
able to enjoy that time. Okay, so now I'm going to give you uh, a bit of a pop quiz. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a statement and see if you recognize it because it's from your blog. What do stamps, duck decoys, hockey cards, dolls, coins, comics, art, books, toys, and lamps have in common? So uh, that, that's from a blog I wrote called The Picasso Walks Out the Door, which is basically talks about personal use property and collectibles that have hugely significant value. And again, you know, who would ever think a, a duck decoy or a model train or, you know, comics have massive. There can't be money in duck decoys. How is that possible? I don't know. Maybe they're hand painted by, you know, some famous artist. I don't know. But uh, <laughs> there, there are so many hobbies that people have that are, you know, that, you know, they're, they're niche hobbies that are, they're worth the, the artifacts are worth hundred, uh, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's just, sure. it's just unbelievable actually. Okay. So, um, so again, you're talking about the difference between personal use property and there's a, a secondary category and this is where the, the collectibles fall into. Right. right? So there's the personal use properties, uh, broken into two categories. So one is personal use property. That would be items that you use personally, furniture, car, and they typically decline in value. And if you have a, a capital loss on those, they're not allowed. But what CRA does is say, say, well, let's just set a floor on that, that we're going to give you a thousand dollar cost base on those. So unless you sell them for more than a thousand bucks, we don't really care about it. Mm-hmm. And if you sell them for a thousand dollars, more than a thousand dollars, the capital gain is measured only from the $1,000 point. The uh, listed personal property are things like prints, paintings, sculptures, stamps, coins, jewelry, things that signif- that will probably go up in value significantly. And again, you have that $1,000 floor, but typically that is just the floor because they're sold for significantly more than that. Um, if you have uh, uh, a gain on that, you can be offset against regular capital losses. And if you have a loss on that, which is unlikely, it can be carried forward to be used against gains on, on these type of things. So if you were to acquire that property and sell it during your lifetime, you would have to report that to the CRA and claim a gain and pay tax. On Correctly. It. Now, when you die, yep. um, what is supposed to happen with that property? <laughs> and in reality, what practically does happen? Stay with us. We'll be right back. You hear a lot about supply chains these days, because if the past couple years have taught us anything, it's that an efficient, well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy. I'm Will Haywood, and I host a podcast called All Business, No Boundaries, where we talk about supply chains, how they work, what happens when they don't, and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So what is supposed to happen <laughs> is, um, so when a spouse dies, if you leave your property to the second to your other spouse, that, that property moves tax-free and there's no issue. But on the death of the final spouse, there's what's called a deemed disposition. So if you had bought an A.Y. Jackson painting for $2,000 and it's now worth 100000 you would have a capital gain of $98,000 being the 100000 minus the two. And that is a gain, even though you don't sell the painting, it's deemed disposed of. So you actually have to pay tax on something that you haven't sold. So what that's what's supposed to happen. <laughs> what sometimes happens is... Uh, Parents either. From, so you've heard, right? You so don't heard, know. Yeah, of so any I've part- heard. <laughs> parents through blissful neglect or the fact that they, they don't want to deal with this, leave these items out of their will and say, okay, kids, you'll just sort this out and 
and work it out and uh, you know there'll be no tax or we'll ha- we you know be no probate tax and you know off we'll go and no one knows anything differently mm-hmm. um so so that creates a, f- a few problems <laughs> uh, number one that assumes your children if you do have that hundred thousand dollar ay jackson pain you're going to be able to actually share that properly right. without fighting. Um, one may actually want to keep it. Some may want to sell it. So they may start a fight automatically off that bat. But let, <laughs> let's say they actually agree to just sell it and split the proceeds. Um, so if you've named one of your children's uh, children as executors or more than one child as executor, um, they now have a responsibility to report that for probate pur- purposes. So by not putting it in your will, you're now putting them in a very tenuous position that they have to put that in for probate. Mm-hmm. And now actually in Ontario, they, there's a bunch of penalties and rules that if you know things aren't put into probate, um, the executors are on the hook. And number two, you now put your child in a, in a bad position because they technically have to report that A.Y. Jackson on your final tax return called your terminal tax return. And if they don't, um, it's, you know, tax evasion. Right. Um, and so, you know, parents think they're doing their family a bit of a favor by ignoring all these things, but they may be creating massive tax and probate headaches for their children. Or maybe they don't like you and they secretly want you to be charged with tax evasion. Yeah, that could be. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Cause I was going to ask, you know, you know, if you're the one who's dead, what do you care? Um, and who would be liable for that? Because if it was your planned omission, then you could say, well, it was your fault. And if you have a child who may not know anything about tax and may not know that they have to do these things, someone could go after them and say that that's on you as the executor, you were supposed to have done that. So, so that's interesting. Cause I didn't know that until I read your blog post. So thank you for that. Um, okay. So now I want to ask you, um, about, uh, just some, some questions just to get to know Mark Goodfield a little bit better. Do you read personal finance blogs anymore? Did you used to in the past and stop now or? Yeah, I actually used to read, you know, tons of them. Um, when I, when I first got into blogging, I, you know, I, I didn't really know. It was more on a dare, so I really had, <laughs> what? I, I, had, I, had, I had no. We we were we had a uh, a uh, marketing expert come up to uh, one of our partner retreats and uh, and they she, said, "Hey, you want to know what the biggest waste of time is?" No, 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 no. <laughs> she she gave us crap that you know we're a firm that had no Twitter, no LinkedIn, no blogs. Okay, and I right. said, "I like to write." So, well, how could it be to do a blog? I'd read a few sports and and investment ones. And then I said, okay, I'll do it. And I started writing and I realized, you know, three people are reading it and you have to create an audience. And that's when I started reading, you know, yours and some of the other blogs that we read. So I was, I was a pretty voracious reader for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, I found after a while I was getting a little repetitive of what I was reading. And um, there's only so much that can be written. (laughs) And and I gotta be honest, the frugal ones killed me because, uh, you know, everybody's writing about, you know, how to, you know, take your 10 bucks and make it into, you know, $10 and one cent. And, um, you know, I, I understand not being wasteful, but I, I also believe in living your life. So I found sure. a lot of those were against my philosophy of which is, you know, make sure you're saving for your retirement, but also enjoy your life while you're, while you're able to, because you may not be able to, uh, you know, you may, you may not make it to enjoy it. So there's a fine line. So anyways, so um, hey, there's yeah. a good blog post, although I'm sure, I think you've probably written along yeah, those actually, lines I many did. times before. Yeah, I did yeah. Because actually it comes, I, I won't waste too much time. I'll digress quickly is, uh, <laughs> um, my father, father died at 54. So that's always impacted my thinking. His death right. was a fluke, but it's always that, 
you know, I always want to enjoy and do things. I actually created a bucket list, which most people don't do, but you know, they saw the after the buck, the movie, the bucket great list. Great movie, and, I love that. movie. It was a great movie, and and I actually went and created a bucket list. And I've mm-hmm. gone through a lot of them. And How far are you through your list? I'd say about eighty percent, actually. Really? How many items did you have on your list? I had initially ten, so now I'm going to add some some more. Okay, can you share what's left on that list to do? That's not too private. Um, well, sure. I can try. It's easy to remember what I want. What I wanted to do, and I did do. Sure. I, I wanted to go a safari to Africa. I did nice. that. Yeah. I wanted to write a book. Mm-hmm. I did that. I wanted to play golf at St Andrews. I mm-hmm. ended up playing in in uh, Ireland, so I counted that the same. Well, you got to go back to St Andrews. Yeah. Well, okay. that's one. That's one. <laughs> if you like scotch, I mean, yeah. it's, you know, it's I'll tell your motive. Yeah. But <laughs> I wanted to, want to play golf at Pebble Beach. I yeah. did that. I. Uh, what other ones did I have? Uh, I had a couple smaller ones. Go to Wrigley Field, and I've gone. I've done that. Anyways, some of the, something like that's cool. Like that, yeah. I have uh, one item on my bucket list. I've never formalized it, but this has always been. You know, if I was ever to write one, this would be on that list. And that is to um, to drive a uh, a certain racetrack, which is called Spa Franc Orchamps for all the racing fans out there. But it's a very famous um, Formula One racetrack, and in fact, Formula One just raced it this past weekend. And uh, everyone says, you know, it's their favorite track to drive, and it's in Belgium. So I am going to go there uh, next month, and it, actually, it's going to be on my birthday. Oh, wow. I'm going to drive Spa Francorchamps for the first time. So I'm looking forward to that. That's so, awesome. Yeah, I, I totally get your philosophy. Well, I think I, I see. You know, even when I just read your 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 Twitter uh, uh, posts, I, I always see you're doing something, and I, you know, you know, I, I I'm not saying this because you're here, but I actually appreciate it because I I, I do like people that try to enjoy their life. And again, there's a fine line. I would never say spend all your money and leave yourself penniless in retirement, but right. I, I think people should try and do both and you definitely do. So. Yeah. yeah I mean, my philosophy is you want your very last check to bounce. <laughs> so. <laughs> um, all right. So at the end of the podcast, uh, there's a one to two minutes, however long you want to uh, give yourself a commercial. Um, maybe this time you'll pick up some listeners. I know the first interview you did, you probably didn't get any, but uh, now I've got way more listeners. So uh, find, tell people where they can find you what you're working on and uh floor is yours okay so i i my background is i was a, a tax expert um i veered off a little bit now i'm doing um some wealth management i do some accounting so and estate planning so it, it actually ties in very well where um i have you know a corporate client i do their estate planning i can do their their wealth management and i just i just find that Unfortunately, a lot of people, um, we, were, we were maybe going to talk about this, but there's actually been a few studies out that um, right now, I think it, the number is 62% of Canadians don't have well, another 12% are not updated. So Wait, say that again, 62% of people don't have a will? Yeah, so there's a recent Google survey by legalwills.ca that says uh, 62% of Canadians don't have wills and another 12% are outdated, so 74% don't. So I, I'm really into estate planning, making sure people have wills that are up to date, have powers of attorney that are up to date. And we were briefly talking about this before I came on air that I actually just recently redid my power of attorney for financial and for healthcare. And the rules are so different now for healthcare where you can have um, assisted death provisions, heroic measure provisions that, you know, 10 years ago when you did these documents, they weren't, these concepts weren't even in existence. So you really need to bring yourself up to date on these type of documents, especially the healthcare ones. If, you know, 
especially if you're the type of person that doesn't want heroic measures and, you know, may want some kind of assisted death. God knows what the, you know, the rules will be in the Supreme Court and mm -hmm. government of Canada are fighting them. But there's all these things that you, you really need to tie in. And um, so I'm, I'm really big into getting your financial affairs in order. And that's part of my sort of overall. Uh, yeah. Thing. And, you know, I, I see that when when I read your blog posts and uh, what's the URL for your blog, by the way? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. You, can, you know what? Just do a Google search for the www.thebluntbeancounter.com. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, anyway, easy to find because there's not many other blunt bean counters out there. But uh, I think what you'll find is that if you if you read Mark's blog, it, it is really insightful because even though, you know, you kind of make uh, fun of yourself and say, yeah, I'm an accountant. I've got an accountant's personality. I've seen that on some profiles somewhere. You actually have a great personality. Like you're an incredibly engaging accountant and the information that you share um, is so accessible. Um, so if you're interested in learning more about these topics and you want someone who's got real practical experience with it, um, check out Mark's blog and also your book. Is that now been published? Yeah. So that's, uh, you can get that on Amazon. Excellent. All right. Well, Mark, thank you very much for being on the show and thank you for putting up with my um, absolute um, <laughs> gong show of uh, production uh, capabilities here today. Um, maybe you will come back on the show in another few years. <laughs> now, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that laugh was like, <laughs> never again. <laughs>